yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. Attacking my Buddha. You are so good with nunchucks, yet you are blind. I am not blind. I am just severely cross-eyed. I know. It is weird. Maurice, you are not of Indian blood. Speak of your parents. They are both dead. They were missionaries. And what did they do before then? They were dog stylists. So, let me get this straight. They were into doggy style before the missionary position. Hilarious, <laughs> 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 my parents are dead, thanks. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 189, 2008's The Love Guru. Otherwise known as the movie that killed Mike Myers' live action career. This is true. And normally... Well, before we begin, I want to wish you a Mershka Hargitay, Chris. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, as, as a, I put as, my hands together yes, and bowed, yeah. as, a, as a fan of uh, Law & Order SVU, I was happy to see uh, Mariska Hargitay to you as well in this film and a cameo. And mm-hmm. uh, the... Oh, God. Uh, that was one of the many labored, tedious uh, motif repeated jokes that went throughout. I now, think you know, it must you know, have done it at least 10 times. Oh, times. Yes, maybe like 10,000 times. Yeah. But you know that Mariska Hargitay is actually uh, Jay Mansfield's daughter, right? I do indeed, and, yes. And uh, Jay Mansfield had a <laughs> Yes, she really she did indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think you didn't really get passed on to her daughter, did it? Uh, no, no. Yeah, I think he was the daughter of Mansfield and Mickey Hargitay, the bodybuilder. Yes, who yeah, started Hungarian a bloody, a bodybuilder. The body pit of horror. That was mm-hmm. a pretty awesome. Sixty sleaze, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but there's nothing awesome about this. And usually, like, well, I mean, Quentin Tarantino is known for, guess, picking people up whose career has faltered and putting them in his movies. I guess most famously with John Travolta. But I mean. Mike Myers was in Inglorious Bastards, what, a year or two after this was made? I don't know what it was, but, you know, still, as a 
showcase for his talents, and that's what he's known for. These movies that are built around him. I mean, this was the end. Mm-hmm. This is really well, the end. not necessarily. He did do a few Shrek movies after mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, that's basically what he's become. Before the Love Guru, Myers had a spotty but predominantly successful live-action film career with some huge hits, most notably the Austin Powers series. Uh, the first Wayne's World. He did make a few dubs. Um, he made The Cat in the Hat, uh, which I haven't seen, but apparently is abysmal. Yeah, I got nominated for some Razzie or something. Yeah. Like that. Uh, he also, well, I mean, uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. I, I saw it in the theater when it first came out. Well, I thought it had its moments. It had its like, moments. head down in front. Down, down in front. Yeah, the head's the size of an orange. Okay, that's a terrible Scottish accent, but yeah, I, I thought it, it was. Crap. Yeah, yeah, it was charming. Yeah. And he played multiple characters. Yeah. It was fun. And of course, that's what he's known for: is playing multiple characters, as he as he did in uh, Austin Powers, um, the Austin Powers series. Yeah, he played Austin Powers, of course. He played Fat Bastard. He played Doctor Evil. Mm. And interestingly enough, Guru Pitka, the character he plays here in the Love Guru, was actually a character he. Created and intended to use in Goldmember, in the third Austin Powers film, which incidentally I think is the best of the three. Ooh, I didn't like the second. The nor, nor did I. I loved the first, but the yeah, first the second was it was a yeah, yeah. A, a real an egg that he laid there. But but the third was good. It was really funny. And then of course he voiced Shrek, and that was massive. And then he laid this turd, and after that it's just been Shrek, and now he's on TV. Doing the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is actually not what a gong world? show. Yeah, actually, literally a gong what show. What the world has been clamoring for is a, a reboot of the gong show. Hosted by Mike Myers, but the way he's hosting it is, is quite unique. Yeah. Again, like, you know, we talk about Mike his Myers. His face caked in the prosthetic. characters and so on. Yeah, and, p- yeah. playing like a, an, a fat uh, a British game show host uh, known for, yeah, I guess... Uh, Dishing out these incredible puns uh, inter- while he introduces Tommy the Maitland. contestants, Tommy Maitland. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I was fooled because I, I was excited as a child of the seventies and eighties when when I watched the first incarnation of the Gong Show, and I was like, "Who, who is this guy?" I, he had me completely fooled, and then oh, I was I, fooled for a second. Yeah. Really, yeah. and then yeah. I, I actually looked it up in, in I think it was Variety, and mm-hmm. said, "Who is this masked man or whatever the usual cliche behind this Gong Show?" Because I thought, like, how ignorant could I be to not know this famous English game show host who suddenly parachuted <laughs> to America to host this show? But I, I thought that was dynamite, and but but very weird. I mean, a very weird showbiz move. And I don't know if that was a thing to not announce that he was on it or to keep it sort of uh, you know clandestine. I don't. I, I thought, if anything, that would be a boost to it. It would get all the curiosity seekers to find out what happened to him. But it was like not divulged. But Oh, I was also going to say, like, I was not a fan of Supermensch, which is the film, I believe, it was, did he direct or produce? It was about Shep Gordon, a producer it's known a documentary, for... documentary, yeah. Yeah, known for, like, hobnobbing with Alice Cooper and, jeez, uh, um, I want to say Teddy Pendergrast and, and Pink Floyd. It was a, some producer that was not much of a film. Mm-hmm. It, it was just sort of an insider showbiz sort of wankery, so... And he's also, he's tried his hand at drama. He, he was in the 54 story. He plays Steve Rubell. Yeah, which I thought, yeah, I heard it was quite a, a, a fun turn. It was like, well, it was, it was a decent movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you mentioned that he did a cameo in Glorious Bastards. It mm-hmm. really wasn't much more than a glorified cameo. But yeah. It wasn't like casting John Travolta. An inglorious cameo. It was inglorious. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, where, you know, you're taking this guy and totally, well, not quite building film around him, but 
in a sense, you know, he really is a linchpin of the story, just like Robert Forster was in Jackie Brown. It was just a cameo. It's basically, I think the cat in the hat was the start of the decline, but then this love guru, this was the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> and we're going to talk a bit about the love guru and why it failed. You know, we'll, we'll maybe, did it deserve to fail? Maybe yes, maybe no. Mm -hmm. But before we even get into the love guru, we've got to talk about Mike Myers. I mean, he is Scarborough's favorite son. And as Torontonians, we hold an affinity for Mike Myers mm -hmm. because of yeah, he's, his he's, his yeah, he's yeah. one of us, uh, East Toronto uh, neighborhood. He's like he's constantly, you know, referencing it, and whether it be obliquely in, uh, you know, Wayne's world, where it really is Scarborough, like the home of you know, uh, greasy spoons, crappy bars, like suburbia. That's really where he grew Tim up. Martins. Yeah, yeah, crappy coffee chains, and it's just. Yeah. That that it was celebrated, but in in a hidden form to it's for a mass audience. Well, when he created because we we didn't mention Wayne's role. When he created the character of Wayne Campbell, he this was before he was on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and he would go down to Much Music, which was our version of MTV. And back in the eighties, it was a very sort of free for all type of TV. And he would come, go down and he would play that character, Wayne Campbell, who was supposed to be your stereotypical scarbier metalhead that would live in his parents' basement and sort of just come out every so often, you know. To, to borrow the car and like exactly. don't get a beer or something with mm -hmm. his friends. Yeah, yeah. And then when he threw the character on Saturday Live, and you know, ultimately Mike Myers became one of the premier cast members of Saturday Live, and along with Dana Carvey, they created this duo, Wayne and Garth. And Wayne's role was humongous. It, it took, it, you know, they were one, it was one of those sound live characters that just took on a life of its own. A film was made. It was a huge hit, deservedly so. It was fantastic. Again, Mike Myers is not good at sequels because the sequel kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, it did. But, yeah, no, when Mike Myers was on Saturday Live, I mean, he was responsible for some of the most memorable characters. Beyond Wayne, you also had uh, Dieter from Sprockets. Oh, yeah. Now's the time on Sprockets mm. when we dance. You know, Touch My Monkey, all that sort of stuff. Uh, there was that kid, uh, that the Boy Scout kid, you know, who was all hyperactive mm. and they couldn't eat candy. You're the devil. Mm. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, there was the uh, the Simon. Well, you know, my, my name, name is Simon. Simon. Yeah, yeah. Are you looking at my butt? <laughs> so, I mean, Mike Myers was amazing on SNL and he was destined for stardom and with Wayne's World and subsequently Austin Powers, he achieved that stardom. But a career of longevity in comedy is a difficult one to have. Yeah, it's easier to be a you know a two decades uh, success in a story in the rap game. Like forget it. I mean, you always have your downturn, and maybe you have a rev uh, late career revival. But I mean, mm -hmm. who who but Bill Murray? But even he turned to drama. Yeah, Jeez, you, you, you know another, Jim Carrey. Another Jim Carrey. Yeah, in terms of Eddie comedy. Murphy. Um, Robert Williams, I mean, he's basically turned to turned to drama. drama. Yeah, I guess um, Will Ferrell's as close as you you can get, yeah, but it, it hasn't now, reached the two decade mark yet. Well, no, but I mean, his last movie that just came out about uh, maybe two three weeks ago, The House, it okay. came out in a week. So my, mm. yeah, he's no longer. I saw man. Get Hard recently with Kevin Hart. It was awful. I mean, it was it was yeah. So who knows? Like what? Well, what? How much more he can sustain himself doing that kind of? What, what was the other one? No, I was going to say another SNL alum, hmm. uh, Adam Sandler, mm -hmm. Chevy Chase. These are all bankable stars that ultimately, you know, it's like they were like supernovas. They made like you know they had two or three years where everything they touched was gold, and then all of a sudden cracks in the facade would start to show. The movies would get less and less funny, and then they would start to get a bit embarrassing. And this happens to a lot of 
cinematic comedians. Mike Myers is not the only one. So why was he completely tarred and feathered over this film, The Love Guru? Ooh, well, that's uh, I was thinking about that on the uh, on the subway over here. Jeez, well, it's it's all laid at the feet. Well, the blame could be laid at the feet of the bare feet of this guru character because unlike the other ones, like. Wayne's World is a satire of like suburban losers, but also television because what in a sense he's doing is like DIY guerrilla cable access, cable access television, and the then you could cable tandem, yeah, like the, 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 the World, yeah, the, the jokes World. come at the expense. Well, also pop culture, which you can't do as a love guru, but yeah, the process of making television. So you have a three pronged assault that you can comedically get away with. So you got your suburbia, you got your pop culture, and you got your television production. Uh, Austin Powers. Obviously, sort of a lascivious character who's a send-up of James Bond and Swing the Carnaby 60s, Street. Yeah, Carnaby so you have mod, two, th- yep. mm-hmm. two things, and also you can play with action convention. Like when the action hero gets like you know captured by the the evil villain who doesn't dispatch with him immediately, and but a love guru, you have two ways to take it. You have like the kind of a Jonestown kind of sex pervert type angle, or you have the Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra. Uh, you know, send up of the like easy answers, peddling of easy answers thing, and neither of which was explored here to any great degree. Yeah, They're I mean, both sort of left limp. Yeah, I mean, you could say that he, in some ways, he's sending up you know the whole like you know new age self help culture, that easy fix. You know, trying to find a guru, like you said before, Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins. Yeah, uh, in this one, he's got all these like you know these initialisms where he's. Uh, TM, yeah, yeah. You go from no drama nowhere to now here. Yeah. So you take like a sort of an anagram of that phrase, but it wasn't to used to any comedic effect. Where it was like sending up Hollywood culture, like he was attracting acolytes, but not in a way that okay, he's giving easy answers, but not to what end? Like he's, he wasn't a, like, and they they did mention it with like Oprah. He was trying to curry favor with Oprah so well, he, he could get on the bestseller the, list. He was trying to become the number one guru. Hmm. Uh, number one was of course Deepak Chopra, and he was number two, Guru Pitka, number two. So by being on Oprah, that would propel him hopefully to number one, and by doing something for a Toronto Maple Leaf player. There's a lot of Canadian in this movie. Yeah. Um, that would get him his book on Oprah. But really, this was a vanity project through and through. The character was, I mean, again, you could tell like Mike Myers found this character to be the epitome of hilarious. Yeah, it looked like something that was, would be workshopped on SNL, but maybe not make it to TV. Like it was, it's, yeah. But he's having fun. But, but really, it, it, it's not hilarious. Except maybe uh, the, the opener is quite engaging. You have like several musical numbers in this in this and you get numerous sitar jokes and pop songs reinterpreted in the sitar and you get the sense like right off the bat it's like this is going to be funny but it just falls flat. And, and it's amazing considering uh, I mean sure you could have maybe a character that's not up to snuff and maybe not uh, on the on the Olympic podium of his great characters from the past. But when that's not necessarily the case, that you have to have this, this fantastic characters. Other SNL films have been built around lesser characters, let's say. But you've got this supporting cast of a who's who of comedians who are either given nothing to do or do nothing with what they're given. And I'm talking about Jim Gaffigan, Stephen Colbert, uh, John Oliver, like who none of whom really do 
much of anything. Well, I, I, it's, like holy crap! Like maybe like mm-hmm. some of the some of the Colbert stuff was mildly amusing. And Colbert and Gaffigan they play you know sportscasters doing hockey commentator play by play, and it was sort of meh, mildly amusing. But we've seen both of them do better work. Well, it's interesting how you do have you have two current late night hosts, both Daily Show alums, John Oliver and Stephen Colbert, who are in this movie. But I don't think either one of them are touting this on their resume. <laughs> no. It was quite embarrassing. And I would say, like, Oliver didn't acquit himself particularly well. He was pretty terrible. I've never been a big fan because it's hard to fill Jon Stewart's shoes. I think he's pretty decent as an occasional substitute, but here he was just Well, a, he's, not, he's not the current uh, host of the, the late show. Okay, but his, uh, his other... Yeah, Trevor Noah, who's mm-hmm. much worse, but... No, yeah. no, Trevor Noah's... He's but, but like, Oliver's... Yeah. They can't fill Jon Stewart's shoes, and here, I mean, man, he's given so little to do, so... At the, but forget about that. Okay, but like, let's look at other members of the supporting cast. We also have oh, geez, Jessica Alba. Meh. Just, yeah, you know, she's a pretty pretty face. face. Yeah, I hate to be so reductionist, but she's, yeah. you know, she's not much of a comedian or an actress. No. Right, like she's not charming. She's just like she she's smiles. She's not even a Tia Carrera. Is, <laughs> okay? Then you got Vern Troyer right again working with Mike Myers. You got Justin Timberlake playing this. I'm not going to give credit to Justin Timberlake. I mean, this is a guy, he's a superstar, he's he's uber talented, he's a good looking guy, but a yeah. lot of times, you know, he'll take comedic roles in SNL or what have you. And, and Shine, yeah. Playing against his vanity, here he plays this really sort of um, over the top stereotypical Quebecois. Yeah, French Canadian goalie, yeah, goalie, yeah. Named, uh, yeah, Jacques Lecoq, Grande. Yeah. yeah. And that right there, Lecoq, that was another thing about this movie that I found to be extremely tiresome. It was. Puerile from the very beginning to the end. So many jokes, just relying on the lowest common denominator. Talked about the male member. There was this uh, extended, painful sequence uh, where he was um, Guru Pitka was making this delicacy called uh, a nut sack or something, and it just went on and on, going yeah. nuts crush. And there was there was a lot of that. So you had all these puerile sort of sexual jokes, but. They didn't land. They weren't clever. They weren't delivered well. They weren't... Well, yeah, that's because the the Guru Pitka is not set up as a sexual deviant with a bunch of acolytes willing to doff their tops and fuck them at a moment's notice. So you have, like, which is is the case for Austin Powers, whose mojo was so highly, like, uh, the, the butt or the subject of so many jokes. So when you have, like, this character known for betting every woman, then it it, you, it can be more cheeky and more playful, mm-hmm. but not some long-haired, you know, uh, like George Harrison-looking kind of guy. Like, it just didn't fit. They didn't establish that character as the sexual animal that these one-liners would indicate. So that w- is essentially what made that fall flat. Yeah, and in addition to all the pure-all jokes, I mean, there was so many ridiculous puns, like uh, his, you know, the, the village in India where he grew up, where the ashram was called Heron by Keister. Mm. And An acronym uh, for Blow Me, which is he's trying to impart wisdom to this would-be the Toronto Maple Leaf Darren superstar. Rowe, yeah. yeah, who's uh, actually one of the more sympathetic, uh, you know, well-played uh, characters. What's his name? Uh, oh, jeez. Have it in my notes. I want to say, Malcony. No, that's wrong. But he was in Forty Year Old Virgin, capably in that movie. But he's trying to give him this advice, and he dispenses advice in acronyms. So I forget. Actually, actually initialisms. Acronyms. Initialisms. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And it's believe, and then whatever to spell blow me. And it's just like, okay, yeah. you see that once, it's kind of mildly amusing, and then TM. yeah, TM, yeah, trademark <laughs> every every one of his things, and it's just. But you mentioned before, like. 
why we were somewhat sympathetic to this movie, at least when we upon first viewing, because it's rare, very, very rare, to see Canadian culture depicted in cinema uh, for a mass appeal uh, to a mass audience. I mean, uh, surreptitiously it was done in Wayne's world, but even the team that he supported was not the Maple Leafs. Wayne is a fan of the Chicago Blackhawks, and this he's from Illinois. So here we actually see the Maple Leafs in all their glory, which is our shitty failing hockey team here in Toronto. And so you have all these references to Toronto and Canada and all this stuff, and this should warm us to the film, but I believe that capital that was built up back when, way back when we saw this, uh, almost a decade ago, my God, it, it completely erased. I was more sympathetic to this when I first saw it. You know, we both said it became unbearable, as I think the word we both came up with at around the maybe 45-minute mark. Yeah, and, and pretty threadbare story as well. Like, mm -hmm. it's just basically he's a self-help guru helping a hockey player win the Stanley Cup, and that's essentially it, and trying to have him reconcile with his wife, and, and that's it. And there's no comedic dynamic between he and... God, we're, um, I keep missing his name here, and Darren Roanoke, mm -hmm. uh, the character played by the guy from The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and there was just nothing. The, their banter fell flat. Uh, Vern Troyer I felt kind of bad for because he's the, he's the subject of a pretty terrific gag where he's, I think he's the general manager of the Leafs, and he's got an office that is scaled to his height. He was a he's coach. A, was, was oh, I forget what. Yeah. Like, but he has an office that's scaled to his height, mm -hmm. a la like being John Malkovich in a way. Like, right. It's shrunk down, and when they enter his office, they, their heads break through the drywall. I thought that was kind of a funny gag, but I felt badly for Vern Troyer in that the humor was at his expense in a way that I thought was kind of mean. I agree. In, in, a, in a way that it was the same in Austin Powers, but he had more agency. He had so much more power as mini-me, mm -hmm. and he was evil, and uh, that was much funnier. <laughs> this was this. Uh, it was sad. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was weak. Yeah, and then speaking of sad and weak, I mean, again, the character of Guru Pika, I mean, he's not a sympathetic, engaging character. And most of his jokes are in the form of these... Very, very puerile double entendres. Mm -hmm. And it's bad enough that the jokes fall flat, but then they get punctuated by this annoying laugh. He would laugh at his own jokes. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than seeing... <laughs> like, if you go to an open mic night, and let's say Yuck Yucks or something, yeah. or, 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 or the Peoria, Illinois chuckle hut, and you got a comedian up there, and he's bombing, what's he going to do? He's going to laugh at his own jokes. And here you have the character in this movie making these stupid jokes, laughing at them afterwards with this really annoying kind of titter giggle. By him laughing his own jokes, it basically just punctuated how lame the jokes were. And, and we don't, I, I don't know if it's conjecture, but I think enough of it has come about since, and uh, Meyer's reputation as a bit of a, bit of a bit hard of ass. ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's um, being uncharitable. Right. And so it's kind of funny, or maybe ironic, or who knows what, that Val Kilmer, of all people, would appear in this movie, a guy who's also notorious for being... Uh, yeah. An asshole. An okay, I was going to say perfectionist, so I'm giving the euphemisms. You're probably giving the more accurate one, but yeah, like, that might be the reason why he's ceased to work or have found a vehicle that could accommodate his talents. I mean, this, this blows my mind, and I was going to ask you how it is that this costs $65 million. Like, that is incredible to me. It must have been salaries. 
because maybe he wasn't close enough with his co-stars that they would work for scale. Uh, I don't know why, like, what happened in the production process, but this looks, I mean, w how do you spend $65 million on a comedy that is like this? Well, Unless okay. it's in post-production for years. Because it only made back, like, 11 or $12 million. No, It was a complete dud. It was a complete dud. I'm not going to speculate on the budget. However, what I am going to ask you is... One of the characters in this movie was the guru of Guru Pika, and he was played by the incredible Ben Kingsley. Oscar-nominated, lauded, respected... The Shakespearean... Fantastic yeah, actor. Incredible pedigree. Now, I understand sometimes actors wanting to, you know, go out of their comfort zone, stretch out a bit, have a bit of fun. I Recently, this summer, we had uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins appearing in the latest Transformers dud, but, <laughs> you know, when you have Sir Ben Kingsley, he is knighted, isn't he? He is, indeed. You know, like, I, I can't see him reading this script and thinking that this was a good idea. He was, his character was ridiculous. He was farting, he was urinating, he was subject to so, so much bodily humor, masturbation jokes, etc., etc. How in God's name could uh, Mike Myers have gotten an actor of the caliber of Ben Kingsley to appear in this Piece of this piece of this turd. I can understand Chiscal, but I can understand Ferentori. I can understand that, that dude from the Four Year Virgin. Yeah, Ben Kingsley. Yeah, who who knows? And uh, I thought when you were going to go there that uh, you were going to maybe touch on what others have perceived as to be some of the more questionable racial elements of this. Mm -hmm. But I think they successfully sidestepped that in making sure that uh, Guru Pitka was an American who's uh, kind of. Uh, you know, he, he's a dilettante indulging in this culture and not, uh, you know, not being naturally brought up in it. So he's sort of appropriating it in a way that you can make it more palatable. But uh, some, I think, in some Hindu groups actually took umbrage with how this was depicted. I, I don't know if that's either here nor there. I think you can cut people a little more slack. I'm thinking like Peter Sellers in The Party, which pound for pound is like, take 10 minutes of that and there's enough funny moments to, you know... I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, that's so much better, you know, crafted than this, which uh, I think maybe I laughed. Again, you can't go with laugh meter, but, jeez. Uh, I want to say three laughs in this in this 85-minute runtime, and mm -hmm. I think there's a very valid reason. Uh, Marco Schnabel, I believe, is the director's name. He has no entry in Wikipedia. This is his directorial debut, haven't heard from him since, and that probably killed his career. Mm. Uh, some of the fault has to lie at his feet, too, because a lot of uh, comedy execution is about cuts, and the camera would linger on certain shots that were meant to be funny, and then again, you're tipped off to them because of Guru Pitka's laughter, but other times it just stuff would just hanging there and just sitting there like a like a like a stain on the carpet i don't even know how to describe it well, no, like gonna, a fart in an elevator I'm gonna just put, like yeah i'm gonna put the blame on mike myers i mean he wrote he created the character he conceptualized this he wrote the script he produced it this was his baby from start to finish this director was who the hell knows some some hacky so, yeah yeah um but i'm sure that mike myers was had a very authoritarian voice on the set now getting back to ben kingsley ben kingsley He's been. He has appeared in some other shitty movies. I'm not gonna say this is like the only blade on his resume, mm. but I mean, were they playing upon the fact that he played Gandhi? So I mean, this was a British man who played mm. uh, 
Hindu in the past, or uh, yeah, but if if that was the case, I didn't see any connection to it, and it seems almost derogatory in a way. If it is some uh, somehow obliquely referencing Gandhi to have some sort of cross-eyed, ridiculous character in the woods with some ridiculous ashram, like it just uh, it was so misguided. Well, there's a lot of things that were misguided <laughs> about this movie. Yeah, and. Oh, getting back to the Canadiana, and I don't know if I should save this for something that we learned, but there's a character, I guess... Well, you've already stepped on a few things I've learned. Okay, so yeah, okay. Well, well yeah. what we've learned, there's, there's a character it's, named Hank Bullard. Right. And uh, growing up, and neither of us counts, although we were big hockey fans growing up, but now it's like we've abandoned it, we really don't care, and part of that comes from the lack of success of our shitty hockey team. But there's a long-time owner named Harold Ballard, Ballard, and the yeah. Ballard family owned the Leafs for years and years, and the, it was at their feet that the blame was laid for their the team's decades-long futility and ineptitude. Here there's a strange reference to one Hank Bullard, who is a, a surrogate for Harold Ballard, and this is sort of an elaborate, unnecessary in-joke for Canadians, that it wasn't even a, really a joke, it was just sort of like a reference that uh, 35 million people in Canada would appreciate, but not even. It wasn't even a good joke. It was just sort of a reference, and it, it fell flat, just like every other reference. Uh, another thing I learned is that, my God, uh, this is there's there's certain things that you'd laugh at when you're seven years old, when you're ten years old, like fart jokes and whatnot. But the Bangkok reference is like where he actually, I think, punched Vern Troyer's character in the nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget how it, it came. Oh, the other way around. I, I don't even remember. Like, they ordered and Thai food. Well, I don't even remember how this, this okay. like, setup came about. Well, like, the set, but uh, that was, how in God's name, because uh, uh, yeah, Vern Troyer said, what's the capital of uh, Oh, Thailand? that's what it was. And okay. Pika says, Horrible Bangkok, setup. and then he gives oh. him a punch in the nuts. How in God's name, and of course, Gurpika crumples to the floor in a heap, he's in pain. How could that have hurt if he was wearing a Cassie belt throughout the entire movie? Mm. Oh, good call. <laughs> good call. I didn't even catch that. I was just, yeah, you, you know it's bad when the setup for a joke is forgotten and all you've got is the punchline, and the punchline just sagged like a, I don't know, like an 80-year-old pair of tits. I don't even know what to say. Uh... That was funnier. That, that no, okay. Most of the jokes in the movie. Uh, Jessica Simpson was in this as mm -hmm. well. Uh, again, the aforementioned uh, Val Kilmer, Jessica Alba, all these people. But it really, yeah, I, I guess viewers on at least on IMDb said that Justin Timberlake acquitted himself the best here, and he had, a, you know, I'm not going to say it was the greatest Quebecois French Canadian accent, but well, he was giving it exaggerated. And, yeah, you know, and he, he was the and of course he, you know, he's in love with Celine Dion. He yes, yeah. her. And, uh, yeah, it was this movie was a little bit insulting to uh, <laughs> yeah, Quebecers, to I would say. I mean, yeah, but he he was at least like he was like the, trying like the Quebec pizza, which yeah. was the uh, <laughs> which was yeah, like was uh, it like pop tarts and pop tart uh, with uh, with ketchup poured on top of it. But <laughs> but God love him. I mean Justin Timberlake, like he was fantastic in the history of rap with like Jimmy Fallon. Like the guy is uber talented. He was giving it his fucking all. And in a way that some of the other characters really weren't, and it was just sort of falling flat. Uh, better to go for it with gusto and have your jokes kind of die. He was the only memorable part. So we have 85 minutes of, ooh, like inefficacious, inefficient, uh, you know, not your joke per minute, Anchorman, uh, Airplane, all the, like, the hallmarks of the genre. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier because, uh, you know, Masters of Disguise, uh, Dana Carvey, his co-star there. His that Wayne's was, World. Uh, Wayne's World co-star. That is yeah. one of the worst films I've ever seen and the worst comedy I've ever seen, bar none. 
that made the Love Guru look like Annie Hall by comparison. I mean, that was the standard I thought this would meet. So this was unbearable on a number of levels, unfunny, unwatchable, but I still think there's this, the gold standard, and thank you, Scott Drebbit from Daily Dead, is still master of disguise. It was. I, I think at one point I was begging you to turn it off while we were watching it, and we weren't sure we could podcast it, but this is certainly up there, and I don't want to say deservedly. Uh, deservedly, it killed Mike Myers' career. If the conjecture of him being an asshole is correct, then I'd say, fine, yeah, don't be a dick to people. No one should work with you if you're a dick, but uh, everyone deserves second chances, and there's. Yeah, I would love to see him come back with a vengeance. I'm not particularly sold on the gong show format well, because I mean, it's not a great show, but... They've been talking about a fourth uh, Austin Powers film for you know the longest time. I believe it's even listed on IMDb as being in pre-production. So oh well, I can see that happening. Uh, so yeah, you kind of I mean some of the stuff I want to say about what I've learned. I mean, in my opinion, great comedy really needs to be timeless. You, you can't get too bogged down in pop culture references of that particular time because it, they're gonna the, it'll just date your film. And, and you mentioned like Jessica Simpson. You mentioned, you know, there's a Paris Hilton joke, a Britney Spears joke, etc., yeah. etc. These Pop, pop culture ephemera. Pop yeah, culture that's ephemera. Just, yeah. I'm like, the, the, the odds. I, I find it so weird. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Like, yeah. Aughts, because yeah. it dated this movie. So when you look at a movie like, let's say this is Spinal Tap, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, even the aforementioned The Party, these movies are much more of a lasting quality, timeless, because they don't get bogged down in cheap jokes at the expense of... I think it was... Was there a Lindsay Lohan job? I don't know. Oh, there, probably. There might as well have been. Yeah, I was also thinking Spaceballs, because Star Wars is such an indelible, timeless vehicle that you could make that funny, in a way, because you've got, like, 40 years of history behind that, and it will be going 40 years hence. And same with the James Bond franchise. But here, it just, yeah, you built something around a character who's neither sex pervert nor... Uh, easy answers dispenser. Like uh, I thought, like the Simpsons episode of "Be Like the Boy," where Bart pretends he's Little Rudiger, and then he gets all the old guys in the you know in the crowd to say "Be like Roy, be like Roy." That was a better send up of self help culture in eighteen minutes of Simpsons television in the glory years than this could yeah. could you know rest out of eighty five minute runtime. So yeah. and also I mean that there was some fun musical numbers. Mm-hmm. Those were okay. In the middle of the movie there was I mean it more was than words, I believe one of them was, it was a sort of like a recreation of the more than words. Of course they had to replace the W's with the V's and then more than verts and that was a bit, yeah. you know but to what end? That was just an extended set and piece. It wasn't had, funny. And at the end of it all, you had this sort of like this Bollywood number and this, you know, singing of the Joker and whatnot uh, to, you know... Yeah, Steve Miller, yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there were moments that were funny. There was a couple routines that were funny, but then there was routines that just fell so far. Elephants, fornicating on the ice, and a Stanley Cup final. I mean, yeah, give yeah. me a break, man. Yeah. Just awful. Cringeworthy, awful. And, I mean, Mike Myers... He's never been one to bat a thousand, even in his best movies. But, I mean, in this one, ugh, it's just swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. Uh, I'm going to give this one maybe one and a half stars. Yeah, I was going to give it the same and, like, swing in. I mean, Austin Powers, you know, you know, in Japanese culture, 
women come first, or sometimes not at all. I know it's a terrible impression, but there's so many quotable that lines. The worst from Austin Powers impression I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> that was really bad, yeah. But Austin Powers is highly quotable in a way that this is absolutely not. Again, this, uh, witness the Bangkok. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this one and a half. Uh, you're still I safe. You say I'm going to this one, well, one million and a half. Yeah, but I mean, there's you got this movie a, pretty much made one million dollars <laughs> yeah, in the box office. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, there's a long way to go to reach master of disguise. Yeah, one and a quarter, uh, unbearable on all fronts, uh, nearly unwatchable. So, uh, what would you like to see next, Mike Myers? Another Awesome Powers movie? Another original character? I don't mind the Gong Show. I kind of enjoy it. Uh, I do as well, but I'm not a big fan of of the talent show format. Like, I would like to see more of this Maitland character, almost behind the scenes, mm. and like the Larry Sanders show. Like, he's so compelling, and someone juggling and you know, uh, sword swallowing. That stuff is done already on America's Got Talent and you don't need to duplicate that sort of format with this. I, I don't know what I'd like to see him do, but you know, is there a Sprockets movie? I don't, uh, that was something that was uh, in discussion years ago. What about Mike Myers versus Michael Myers? Ooh, the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's way more life left in the, uh, you know, uh, in... In the shape versus the, I don't know, the shapeless gob of the love guru. I think is you know, well, Mike Mike Myers, the the killer, will last way beyond Mike Myers. Like, there's, I don't think there's any recovering really. And I, I'm the the time will tell what will happen to this Gong Show reboot. It's just, I think it's going to get lost in the summer months, along with the. Uh, Battle of the Network Stars, mm. which is just some reboot of a 70s ABC shitty show where they would take actual stars and put them in athletic competitions. Now they have Ian Ziering <laughs> from like Sharknado and Beverly Hills, <laughs> 90210. He's one of the stars along with like Facts of Life stars. Like these people are fucking nobodies. No, I just love Ian Ziering is always like the go to when you want to talk about, <laughs> you know. Faded, washed-up, Z-list celebrities. It's always high and zero. And it's amazing that I know how to pronounce that as well. I just well, we didn't it when he was actually in his prime. Yeah, yeah we didn't at all. Yeah, and zeroing, so. Hey, the man looks good. You know, like I gotta say. Well, he's, dude, he's, he's, when when he was playing a high school student, we were seeing hairline, <laughs> and he looked about forty. Yeah, back it's then. true. That hairline has not moved. So yeah. good on, good on you, <laughs> and zero, and uh, good on us for continuing to well update our, uh, you know, our. Podcast every right, Friday. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little like pat on the on the back and a self congratulatory. <laughs> yeah, uh, every Friday, uh, really awful movies podcast. Although we did miss last Friday. We did. We took a very brief uh, summer summer hiatus, but mm-hmm. we're back with a vengeance. And check out our website www.reallyawfulmovies.com, and uh, yeah, send us your suggestions for. Any genre film you'd like to see us cover on the show, reallyawfulmovies at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.